This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. When you're a pro, your reputation is built and proven over time. That's why the Home Depot carries Loctite PL Premium Max Construction Adhesive, the strongest on the market. It stays 100% solid after curing. It won't develop air pockets. And like your reputation, it holds up over time. Right now, get 12 or more for the bulk price of only $8.53 each. Loctite PL Premium Max at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. Did you know you could shop around for prescription prices? With GoodRx, you can find free coupons at over 70,000 pharmacies and save up to 80%. It's that easy. But don't just take my word for it. Dr. Adam says, I've been telling all my patients about GoodRx. Jacqueline says, my medication was $65 without insurance, but I paid $25. Aubriana says, you don't have to pay full price to live your best life. Couldn't have said it better myself. GoodRx is 100% free. Download the GoodRx app today and start saving. GoodRx is not insurance. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Rose Sampson Folk, and today a very special guest, I think since it'll be his second time on the show, officially earns the term friend of the show from The Athletic via No Dunks. Jay Eskeets, how you doing today, man? I am definitely a friend of the show. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, and since since we're pals, I thought we'd, we'd, we'd get off on a, a more personal note, and you're on the on the road of growing a beard and you've recently decided to do so and is that because you're no longer on tv and you thought you'd try out something new what is the inspiration behind it uh yes it's uh, a part of that um now that we've just leaned right back into doing the podcast i don't need to worry about how i sort of look on television not that i really cared all that much as it was when we were the starters um but the genesis of the beard was when we started as no dunks with the athletic um, back in October, myself and JD had this weird thing with our work visas sort of expiring and then starting a new one that in order for us to actually work on the show and get paid just because of the timing of it all, we had to go back to Canada um, up to Toronto for what ended up being for like a good four or five weeks and once I was up there, um, my wife stayed in Atlanta and I'm just living with friends and doing the daily podcast with JD. He was basically the only person I was seeing for a good chunk of the day. And then sometimes friends at night. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let this go. I was 39. I'm still 39. And I decided 
can I even grow a beard? Like, I don't know if I can. Um, let's try it out. It was the perfect time. Like you said, no TV. And I'm just doing the podcast. And my wife's not even around to tell me to, to shave that weird thing off my face. So I gave it a go. I leaned into it. And uh, ended up liking it enough where I then shaved it and grew it back. Um, and Nora came up and she saw it and she was sort of somewhat of a fan of it. So I'm at this, uh, I'm at this point now where I have uh, a very ugly, I guess, sort of beard, but it's a beard nonetheless. I'm, and I'm proud I, to say I could at least sort of get to this point. Is the, it's appealing because of the scruffy ruggedness. I'm assuming that's what drives it, right? It definitely makes me look older. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I sort of have a, a youthful appearance to me. I would always get carded down here in Atlanta, uh, which is sort of a thing they do. They just ID everyone, but I always got it uh, despite being old again, 39, but I've noticed since I've had the beard down here, um, it's happening less and less. So uh, people are, I guess, deciding that I'm somehow, you know, not 21 or under, which is insane as it is. Cause I definitely don't look that young. Um, so it's helped out in that regard. Uh, in terms of buying booze, I guess. Um, yeah, has it made me the teeny tiniest bit more manly? Sure. I mean, really, I just play with it, and I've noticed how many gray hairs I have in it. Um, and that's all. But it is it is what it is, and I'm sticking with it for now. So one more question about the beard before we move on from it. Sure. Do you think that it will grant you super podcasting powers once it all connects a la Jason Tatum, when his beard connected, things started really popping off for him on the court. Do you think that there will be an analogy for that with your beard and this season's no dunks? Well, the problem with that is, uh, you know, I guess I have the connection. You know, it's it's made its way high enough uh, on the old sideburns to, to my hairline. Um, so there's connection. The problem with mine is it's quite patchy. I have you know, I just have some unfortunate patches uh, on both sides in uh, areas that are just never going to grow hair. So it's got a very Paul Pierce-like vibe to it, um, and it, and there's just no way around it. So, you know, I would say that my podcast powers would grow, my Tatum powers would become real, only if I were to have like a bushy, full-on Trey Kirby, JD-type beard. And that's just not going to happen. And I won't even have the cool-looking, you know, tasks like, you know, well manicured beer because I just have these, I just have these little spots that it's never going to grow. And I'm not getting an ointment or something like that. I don't care that much. So it's, uh, it's, I've reached my peak, uh, with my beard powers and podcast powers, I guess, as it is too. Well, let's talk about the podcast powers then. And when I had you on last time, you talked about how the podcast might lend you more freedom to be tangential, to speak for longer periods of time. And you don't have to be a short as you were on TV, how has that been this year? And what, I guess, thing do you feel like you got to talk about most this year that you wouldn't have gone to talk about on television? Um, it's definitely true. I was right calling that uh, when we talked uh, around the start of the season and us now just doing podcasts instead of TV. Yeah, we can talk about whatever we want for as long as we want. And there is no producer in my ear or director saying, let's go, keep it moving, and oh my god, this is boring, what are you doing, throw to commercial. There is none of that. It's, uh, you know, I am in control now, for the most part, of deciding how long and where we're going to go with the conversation. And it's honestly, it's so much fun. Uh, and as you can tell by listening to this for, what, less than 10 minutes now, I like to talk, I have no problem talking, 
and uh, you know, we can do 10 minutes on a beard that sucks. And uh, for whatever reason, people sometimes find find that type of stuff enjoyable. So, yeah, I mean, this is my third podcast of the day here with you. Uh, and again, I'm honored to be on. But we've already banged out two podcasts as the, as the No Dunks crew. We did our daily show, which we do every morning. And then we hit the beach today. That's our mailbag only podcast. That one, we talk about everything. I mean, we were talking about Maria Sharapova. We were talking about Lee's handkerchiefs. We were talking about racing eight-year-olds on scooters. We were sort of talking about the NBA at times, but a lot of other things because people send in funny questions. Um, and again, I think people sort of, they like it just as much maybe as when we are, you know, talking about the NBA and getting analytical and, and whatever, discussing whatever there is around the NBA. So people like a balance, I think, is what I'm getting at here. If you can marry the two and... We did that at the start of, uh, you know, our podcasting careers way back in 2006, and we've continued it now, and people seem to get a kick out of it. Well, I think it does allow for maybe more freedom as far as humor goes, and that, that brings up a question of mine. I recently had Dan Devine from The Rager on the podcast, and <laughs> he mentioned that, A, he loved you guys, but that Trey was the funniest basketball-adjacent person currently doing that. Is it is that a correct take? Is Trey the funniest guy talking basketball right now? Always tough to rank humor, um, but <laughs> he's definitely he's definitely on the short list. Uh, TK is both both. I mean, he's uh, I mean he could sort of do it all. He's a utility man, right? Because he can excel in the writing game, which he had proven. I mean, we we poached him from Yahoo Sports to come join us when we were the Basketball Jones up in Canada, uh, and then. You know, he's an unbelievable funny blogger and then, oh, wow, he's really funny on the mic. And then he's really funny in the TV role and uh, bringing up all these funny things. He's incredible with like making memes and just like playing off of things that are actually happening in the NBA and either making them sort of about us or some other funny joke. Yeah, he is very, very funny. I think I, I truthfully I, I mean this in all, with all sincerity. I think all three and i'll even include jd who's funny in his own right obviously doesn't have to talk that much because he's producing and directing the shows but all three of my co-hosts are very funny guys for in all different ways i mean trey is just super super sharp and even when i listen back to the podcast sometimes i will hear little lines or little things that he peppers in that i didn't even notice like while I was talking to him or talking with the group about whatever we were going on about. So he's just so, so quick and sharp uh, in addition to all, you know, the skills of creating memes and, and writing and stuff like that. Tass, I find to be one of the funniest people I know uh, in a very, he's just a unique, unique humor. He's going to fire puns. He's going to lean into weird things. He'll just, he's not afraid to say the strangest things. And I find that actually hilarious. And then Lee Ellis is, I mean, he's Carl. He's Carl Pilkington is really what he is. Um, he is just that type of character, and I can I could sit and talk to Lee about anything for hours on end because I'm just fascinated by how his mind works and how he comes to decisions, and it's I, he's just like an experiment uh, for me, and I just want to like you know test and prod his why he got to this reasoning and stuff like that. Again, I just find it amazing, and he's and he's. He's both intentionally and a lot of the times unintentionally hilarious. So that was a long-winded way of saying everybody on No Dunks is so, so funny and why you should listen to it. No, TK is very funny. <laughs> very good. Um, I want to talk something that is also not, not funny in the intentional way, but you brought up being unintentionally funny. 
something like that happened recently in the basketball verse. Did you see the Knicks statement on Spike Lee? Yes, I did. It's incredible. It's uh, it's like a parody at this point of what is going on with the New York Knicks. Just when you think there is no possible way they can outdo themselves with this incident or this press release, they they do. Dolan says, "Hold my beer," and then we go then we go nuts and we get this. Now, what you're alluding to, the Spike Lee um, craziness, and then the PR release off of it, and the back and forth, and this is their basically their face of their franchise for the last 25 years because they've been so garbage on the floor and even he is now feuding with Dolan and the Knicks. You can't write this. If you wrote this, no one would believe it. That's how insane it is and yet here we are with the Knicks. It's wild. This definitely, this could have been in a blogger's 18 things to expect that are unexpected from the season coming up and it would have been Spike Lee and James Dolan feud over the way he gets into the arena. And everyone about, oh, that's funny and creative. But it actually happens. It's one of the wildest things I can think of. It's, it's exactly right. That's the best way to put it. And again, you could write this in a blog post and people go, oh, yeah, huh, funny. That'll never happen. And then here we are. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And they're just like, they just, the Knicks are so good at everything else except basketball. And I mean good in the sense of it's just pure hilarity. It's like you just can't, Believe it. This is their super fan for 30 years. A guy that spent what probably on New York Knicks tickets? I don't know. 10 million? I don't even think that's far-fetched to throw that number out there. Something like that is always in their corner, always repping them, even when they're garbage, even when they're embarrassing. And now they've somehow pissed him off because of a because they suddenly don't want him to come in a, a particular set of doors. Like, what? How? How have you gotten to this? Uh, and, and of course, you know, Spike Lee taking it to ESPN and, and now the War Awards, both be it on TV or through press releases. Like, I, you imagine the job of working in the PR department for the Knicks because that latest one about Spike Lee, James Dolan wrote that press release. You can't convince me otherwise. He wrote it. He sent it to the PR team. He said, do whatever you got to do and get this out there as soon as possible. That's what was done. And to the point, and I know this, or I'm pretty confident about that being the case, in the press release, it says Jim for James Dolan. It just said Jim, which of course we all know, but you don't see that in press releases. Like press releases are the most, you know, like specific, like full names, misters and stuff like that. They write Jim. And that's because he probably wrote him or me or whatever he was using. And they were like, well, we better change that to Jim. And they didn't even put James on. It's crazy. The guy's insane. He's just or insane. he was in the room leaning over the person's shoulder. And since he was in such close proximity, they just wrote in Jim. And yeah. he would his tell would be like mmming and hawing his way through. And the person who was writing the press release would dictate what they should be writing based on his audible, uh, I guess, remarks around it. I think that oh, would yeah. be how it's done. Or maybe yeah. an, an arm it, it squeeze. Was like a- yeah, it was like um, like a scene from Mad Men with Don Draper, like you know, right? Res- like saying it out loud and having someone dictate it, some secretary dictate it, and uh, you know, read it back to me, and uh, you know, here we go. Yes, print it and attach a couple photos to it while you're at it. You know, do we have a photo of me shaking his hand? Yes. Yeah, it's a little blurry though. I don't know if we should attach it. Attach it, and then he slams the door, and, and you know, and he's off, and they just follow his orders, I guess. Famous. I'll make him infamous. Something like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, talking about, I guess the discourse around the Knicks has always been 
a little bit sour, well, for however many years now. And I want to talk about a beloved man in Toronto. Obviously, you're a guy who covers the league. You're not allowed to have favorites, but you, you have certain leanings towards the Toronto Raptors, of course. Pascal oh, Siakam, yeah. little bit of a slump, kind of, you know, it's they're playing without Gasol and playing without Ibaka. It's tough for him to occupy the whole front court by himself. Different looks against different teams. Maybe it's not such a big deal, but the discourse around him has soured a tiny bit. What do you make of him going into the playoffs as the number one option on the Raptors? And this is talking to somebody who is a lifelong Raptors fan. So you've seen everything. You've seen the lows, you've seen the highs, you've seen Kawhi, and now you're seeing Pascal. How do you feel about it? Yes, I have been a lifelong Raptors fan, but I'd like to consider myself a level-headed lifelong Raptors fan. And this, this Pascal Siakam um, jump that we saw early on and was amazing and was ex- exceeding my expectations, and I think a lot of people's expectations out there of like, oh my God, is this guy in his fourth year like an all-star? Well, yes, is it? this guy all NBA is this guy like a go-to like 28 point per game scorer and incredible on the defensive end like is this do we suddenly have you know basically our own Kawhi that we've you know built ourselves um and it was exciting but I was always hesitant because it's one thing to do that for a game to do that for a week to even do it for a couple of weeks it's a whole other thing to do that over a course course of a season and that is what separates true the the greats of the greats the superstars from you know the all-stars and the star players and that's why those guys get paid the gigantic contracts that they do because to do it for 70 plus games over a season is a lot more difficult uh, obviously than to do it for a stretch and so that was this is a long way to get to i'm not i'm not concerned because this was always going to be the case and you know we were already asking probably a little too much too soon from Pascal Siakam in his fourth year. There is time for him to still get better. But teams are now starting to figure out sort of his go-to moves, what he likes and dislikes. And, you know, in some of these cases, there have just been some talented defensive teams with enough bodies to also throw at him and try and slow him down and be a little bit more physical with him. And he struggled. So what? I mean, it's, you know, I had never thought he was going to be in this year the guy that was going to be able to literally just hand the ball to and say, go get us a bucket. We need that. And which, of course, we saw as Raptors fans time and time again with Kawhi. We were just, if you thought that was the case, you were just, you were, you were, I don't know, you were just shooting for the moon a little too soon to me. Can he get there in a couple of years? Maybe. I'm still even a little skeptical just the way he plays, but it's more likely, of course, down the line. It ain't happening this year, which is always why it was going to be you know, very difficult to go back to back. I mean, you, you know, you don't have Kawhi Leonard. You don't have a guy that when, when it's a tight game to say, go get us to, or get to the line. It's going to have to be by committee with these Raptors. And uh, to think otherwise, or to think that Siakam was that guy and that he's Kawhi 2.0, I just don't think was fair from the, from the jump, even though it looked like it for a couple of weeks, like, Oh my God, maybe that's the case. Yeah. And I think maybe more aptly, everyone describes the leap he took or the jump but with how many different landing and jumping off points there's been in his career it almost seems like unprecedentedly he's taking a triple jump both in length and the amount of jumping off points there is as far as just the season last year you could even cite um, a colleague of mine Louis Satsman wrote an incredible piece I guess earlier on in the season about how Pascal his the way he improved shooting 
was literally unprecedented. It had never been emulated before. We likely won't see it again. Of course, that's fallen off a bit. But as you alluded to, the point, the height to which Pascal got is brain-numbing, basically. It's hard to even reckon with the type of progression we're seeing. Now we're seeing, you know, a bit of a valley, also while the team is injured. And the cool thing is, you don't even have to decide right now whether or not he's going to make it happen in the playoffs because he won the chip last year as a good second-slash-third piece, a uh, pseudo-go-to option. And now this year... We get to be fans of a really interesting Raptors team and watch Pascal try. And basically, watching this Raptors team try has made one this year maybe maybe the most exciting year to watch the Raptors. That's exactly right. Try and also these guys, like you're saying, figure out who they are in this league. And, you know, it's amazing that the valley, like you said, or the struggling point here for Pascal Siakam since, let's say, the All-Star break is still a guy averaging, you know, 24 points per game, 7-4, and four, you know, obviously the defensive effort is there, still really good from three. Like this is the this is sort of the downswing of his very good again um year, all-star year. So that is that's amazing. I mean, I had a bet. I bet one of my best friends, my buddy Grish, shout out to my buddy Grish, I always name drop him on the show. I bet his nephew, who's like 13 or 14. Heading into the year, you know, Raptors win the championship. We're riding high. My buddy Grish is celebrating his 40th birthday. We all get together. It's friends and family. We're talking about the Raps. I bet him, I'm like, how, how good do you think Siakam's going to be? And he's like, well, he's going to average, he's going to average like 24 points per game or something like that, he was saying. I, or I think we, he said 23. And I'm like, in my head, in my head, I'm like, no way. No way. I, I think we're asking a little too much. You know, if he's flirting with like 21, 22, that's great, whatever. Maybe even 20 still. And he, I made him a, we bet on the over-under for Pascal Siakam. And right now, um, it is something like, what, 23 and a half, I think, uh, as of today. And he, and he has missed some time. And we, did, we didn't put a games played uh, that he had to hit on that bet. But, uh, you know, he's just a kid, so I'll let him have it anyway. But he's going to win this bet, is my point. And so he has exceeded my expectations when you get when you step back and look at the season in a whole. And, man, I, I hope he has some dominant performance in the playoffs uh, uh, still, you know, in his bag here and still down the line uh, for this season. And maybe and maybe the Raps can sh- shock the Bucks or something like that. God, I hope that as a Raps fan. But I'm also not truly expecting Pascal Siakam t- to outplay Giannis uh, right now at this point in their career. That's just the honest fact uh, for me, for me. But, you know, Raptors fans are, they're a different breed at times. <laughs> well, I think the outplay Giannis, like he certainly has punched above his weight before, but I don't know if he can throw that heavy but even at this point outplaying Jason Tatum in a you know a predicted Boston Celtics Toronto Raptors series would be a huge step and that would be extremely meaningful and also there's the homerism where you could talk about the the stretch after the all-star break where you could say well he killed the Suns he killed the Pacers he was really great in those games but then Bucks you can give the excuse of Giannis the Hornets game not really an excuse. That's a tough one, even though they didn't have a big man. And then you can go going against the, you know, Jeremy Grant, a prototypical Siakam stopper. And then you can say Jokic and everybody was keyed in on him and they didn't have Gasol and Ibaka. What have you. That's the optimist look. And the pessimist look is that he struggled and that's it over, a, let's say, a four game stretch. The, it certainly isn't the end of the world. And I know Twitter isn't the best place to crowdsource things, but I had people in my mention saying he's a borderline all star. And it seems insane because he started the game 
two weeks ago. Yeah. It's it couldn't yeah. it couldn't possibly be borderline if he was in the game. It's it, I think he's one of the most interesting players that's come along in a long time. Not just because of the way he's used defensively, which is almost unprecedented as well. The amount of rover they use him in zone, being the the point of attack defensively, I think is really unique for a player of his size and just his what what would the term be? Physiology, his his phenotype. The thing with Pascal is, I think this is why people sometimes freak out. And yeah, like you said, Twitter. I mean, everybody's freaking out on Twitter. But he has <laughs> he has these games, Pascal does, where, especially from three, I've noticed, he's either lights out in a particular game or he's really, really bad. And, you know, we just saw it in the Nuggets game, you know, one of seven. Before that, in the Hornets game, one of five. But then he has like the six for eight games. And the five for nine games, but then there's a one for six. It, and then there's an O for five. I mean, think I think that one was back against Brooklyn. It's these weird swings, especially with this three ball. That uh it's uh and again, that speaks to going to the next level, to the LeBron levels, to the Giannis levels, to that upper echelon of consistency. And it's those sort of drastic swings, again, offensively with Siakam, because the defense is always there and that's always sound. Those wild swings get gets this ebb and flow of uh raptors fandom going back and forth on one second he's an all nba you know second team guy and then uh oh ew, he's a borderline all-star i don't know if we can trust him in the playoffs to uh oh my god this guy's unstoppable just give him the ball it's these wild swings and and hopefully and maybe not because he's at the point in his career you're now asking him to hit the highest level you possibly can as a basketball player and that is that elite level where hey every night Every night now, you got to be the you're our go-to thirty and ten type of guy and making everybody else better and you're hitting clutch shots like that is just tough, goddamn tough to do, night in and night out. And especially when teams have started to figure you out a little bit and have started to game plan and you got to go back into the lab and add more pieces to your game. And that's where we're at with Siakam, and that is totally fine, totally fine. Yeah, and to, just to tie this up on my end, it is interesting. Just the way he progresses to go back to that really quick. That for four years, Raptors fans every summer would get together and say, Demar is going to get his three point shot this year. And of course, Demar was progressing in other meaningful ways, but there was still that patience. Now we're expecting Siakam to make the jump from pseudo all star to MVP in one year and then to maintain that into the playoffs and then to lead us to a championship. Just the way the Raptors have succeeded in the past and Pascal as well, has lent itself to, you know, definitely a, a volatile type of fandom. But I wanted to swing this into something that I think is definitely up your alley. And I wanted to talk about Survivor, which is a show that I know you adore and have an affinity for. Which Survivor contestants are most similar to Kyle Lowry and Masai Ujiri? <laughs> wow. Okay, well, I mean, there's been something like... What are we at? I don't know. 400 contestants uh, in the uh, 40 seasons now of Survivor. So maybe I'll, I will just try and focus on this season of Survivor, which is Survivor 40, which is a winners at war season. So it's all previous winners um, that have won the game of Survivor are now all battling it out on the island. Uh, so they're all obviously good. And of course, I'm going to pick good Survivor players because we're talking about Masai Ujiri and uh, Kyle Lowry. Okay, very difficult. Um, Masai, maybe a little easier. Um, I guess my immediate brain goes to, there's a guy named Boston Rob who's sort of considered the godfather of Survivor. He's played a very, very long time. 
He's uh he's fairly he's fairly even keeled, but he just gets things done and somehow has this incredible way of convincing people even that should be against him and should definitely not trust him and should do anything they can to vote him off. He has this amazing ability to sort of uh, c- convince them otherwise to be like, oh no, I should work with Boston Rob. I, I should trust Boston Rob and you shouldn't. So I, I guess Masai at times with you know shrewd moves he's done before um, and winning over other GMs and uh, you know to bring it back to Dolan as a perfect example. Um, I'll go Boston Rob as Masai Ujiri. Uh, and, and both, you know, just, just, you know, Boston Rob is must watch television and Masai Ujiri is the greatest. So it, that works for me. Kyle Lowry's a little different. Kyle can be irritating. I mean, look, I'm a Raps fan, so I love Kyle Lowry, but you can see why other fan bases, uh, would find a guy in the way Kyle plays irritating, very Chris Paul, like the type of guy you would want on your team. But if you had to play against them, you would want to, you know, pull your hair out. Um, so who is like that uh a bit of a wild card a bit of a crazy guy i guess i'm gonna go tony uh tony Velakos, who is uh again he's a previous winner he was a wild winner um but just goes about things his own way and, and i think kyle Lowry's sort of a unique player in today's game and has some highs well some incredible highs of course winning a championship and and being dominant in game six of the finals and then some of course very very low lows and some uh, bad performances in the playoffs. Tony's had that as well. He's played before, and he went out super early. He was just came out a gunning, and it backfired and blew up in his face. So Tony is Kyle Lowry, and Boston Rob is Masai Ujiri. And now I'm curious, do you watch Survivor? Do you have no idea what I was just talking about for the last five minutes? I've been tuned in to, I think, the last four seasons. So I okay. understand okay. the Boston Rob of it all. There hasn't okay. been a true scrappy winner like Kyle, I don't think, in the past four years. But I, I definitely get the Boston Rob thing, for sure. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah, Tony, Tony I think, sort of works for Kyle. Kyle is a much more difficult one to come up with a comparison. Um, yeah, you're right. It's that scrappiness. Uh, but I think Tony sort of did that in his, in his one win. He did was, you look in other people's bags and stuff? Was he that type of guy? Because Kyle would do that. He was pretty cunning. Yeah, he would. And I, I can't remember if he did that exactly. But he did this thing. Oh, this is what something Kyle would do. Uh, Tony played in this one weird year where there was like this super idol given and it was one of these weird things that you could play the idol after the votes were read. Um, so it was like ridiculously powerful, almost like to a fault. Like I think they got rid of it after this season. But what Tony did with it is he was only supposed to be able to play it up to like a certain time, like until there was five or six left. And he what he did was just straight up lie to everyone and said, oh, this power actually... Um, it goes even further. Like you can play it up to like the final four. He just straight up lied to everybody and they all believed it hook, line and sinker instead of thinking like, whoa, nah, that probably can't go all the way to then. And he just wielded it. Like instead of hiding the fact that he had the idol, he just like would wear it around his neck at tribal councils, like daring people to call his bluff, right. To like, to try and vote him out. And then he would have to play it and then it would be gone, but they never would. So I could totally, totally see Kyle um, with his basketball IQ and if you translated it his to sort butts. of survivor IQ. It's the booty yeah. for yeah. post-ups. You see him yeah, rocking right. that big old posterior and you think, I don't want to mess with this guy in the post. That's what it is. That's right. So I now that now talking this out, I'm actually really liking my Tony uh, comparison to like that, just that craftiness 
from from Kyle. Um, and uh, you know, Kyle's probably a little a little bit more um, sort of even keeled. Tony is a, a wild man at times, but um, you know, they're both champions. <laughs> Okay, well, that, that feels like a, a very good and resounding answer from you. And so I'll swing us quickly into a couple of things before we go to break. Sure. What is the deal with the burrito? I see these things posted on social media. I hear you guys talking about it. And for the listeners now, what's going on with the burrito? Tell us about it. The burrito, I mean, I guess that you're alluding to uh, the, again, to bring it back to Trey Kirby and his unbelievable meme work. He did a straight up parody of the Knicks press release about Spike Lee. Um, and uh, his spin on it was the idea that Trey Kirby is a victim in the no dunks office uh, because we repeatedly have asked him not to eat anyone else's burrito. He loves a burrito. Uh, and he loves a taco. Trey Kirby loves a food. So uh, he's just making a joke here with the burritos though, a little Chipotle joke. It's right down the street from the no dunks office. But for some reason we did have a weird photo that Trey, um, somehow had on his computer and Trey has thousands if not millions of weird no dunks slash starters slash the basketball Jones photos on his computer so he has one for every occasion but he found this photo of him and I touching burritos like these giant fat burritos that we had once when we were here in Atlanta um, again I don't know why he has that photo I don't even know why we took that photo but it worked perfectly he made it all grady it was like the Dolan Spike Lee handshake and uh yeah, you can see this uh, his take on this weird story uh, on the No Dunks Twitter account on our Facebook page. But really, there truly isn't too much to uh, – there's not much backstory to the burrito. It's just Trey Kirby's weird brain and how it gets him to these things. Well, I guess that comes full circle to try and to explain why he's so funny. You know, we get right. the full explanation now of one of those minute circumstances. But I guess before we go to break, one more thing I want to ask you about. Where is this season ranked? among all other Raptor seasons, and you don't have to rank all of them, for how fun it's been. Is this top five? Is this, is this a great season to watch? Or, or are there others that beat this one out? Oh, Maybe you're a God. big Jose Calderon and Andre Bargnani fan. Maybe, maybe you love uh, Joey Graham. I don't know. Uh, I actually loved Elvin Williams. Uh, huge Fish Market <laughs> fan. Why do we call him Fish Market? You'd have to ask my buddy Ken. I still don't know why we call him that, but we do. Um, but I loved, loved Elvin Williams. So, you know, there were some favorites in there uh, uh, when they were, you know, you know, um, having some tiny, tiny playoff success way back when. But yes, the answer is the answer is resoundingly yes. Top five, probably top two. This has been such a fun season. I mean, we're still, you know, we're still on cloud nine from the championship year. And that is now never going to be beat, um, probably unless they go back to back somehow. And I think it's still a little unlikely as big a Raptors fan as I am. Um, but yeah, this is top two just because it's been so fun to see everybody else say, well, the Raptors are going to suck now. No Kawhi, no Danny. Uh, hey, good job, everyone. And instead, you know, they've shut up a lot of people, especially the U.S. media down here where people are like, wow, damn, this team really is good um, from from one to ten, if not even deeper. And oh, yeah, Nick Nurse is the real deal. I love that, too. I love having Nick Nurse as a Raptors coach, it's so refreshing to have a coach that'll try things and just won't, you know, bang his head off the wall because this is the way it was and this is the way we'll always do it um, that you see with a lot of coaches and not even just previous Raptors coaches. Nick Nurse says, screw that. Oh, you want to try his own? Yeah, let's try that. You want to try this box one? Let's try that. You want to switch this up? Yeah, let's try that. I absolutely love that. So 
Um, yeah, this is very high on my Raptors fandom list. And I, I think I would have it seriously. Like it's either two or three um, in just terms of pure enjoyment. And they're just fun to watch. And, you know, they're never really out of the game. And it's cool to see guys that sort of broke through that um, could they ever do it ceiling, be it especially with Kyle and even Serge and, and Gasol and stuff like that to see them get to play sort of carefree and with that monkey off their back um, is awesome. So I've really liked it. Yeah, I like that you highlighted Nick Nurse and his complete lack of hubris. He is willing to try anything. He might have seen it in a kid's game that he yeah. happened to walk by on the street and thought, hmm, I'll put that away. We might bring that out later. It's it's just in at the top of any type of, whether it's sports, business, what have you, there is a level of we do things the way that we do things. And we're not going to change that. Even if something new comes along, seems okay. We just won't touch it. And he completely broke that barrier. And the league has started to emulate that. It's, it's quite nuts. Exactly. And you are spot on. I would say in almost any, any profession, uh, or even in your day-to-day life, it's difficult to make changes. People are afraid of trying new things. And, uh, I, I can only speak from experience with our show over these last, uh, whatever we're at now, 13, 14 years and all the iterations we've gone through. It's something we've always been, uh, aware of and have tried to be like, you know, we're comfortable with this. And now let's try something else. And that's not easy because you're like, well, we're comfortable with it. We can do it pretty well. People like it. Why switch it up? What are we doing? But, um, you know, that you can find a lot of success in doing that. And I think it's a good way to sort of go about living your life if you can. Uh, don't be afraid, really, to try things. Um, and Nick Nurse is definitely not afraid to try things. An inspiring note to go to the break on. Listener, you're going to hear an ad and then J.E. and I will be answering some Twitter questions. Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. And welcome back to the Raptors Weekly Podcast, still hosted by Samson Folk, still talking to the wonderful and lovable J.E. Skeets. J.E., I sent out a tweet that said you were coming on the show, responded to by, by quite a few people that seemed happy that you were coming on, A, because of uh, how great you are on the podcast scene with your beard and podcast powers, but wanting to know what you think about the NBA at large. And the first question is from Vetti. At Vetti11 says, rank the falling Raptors on most improved from last season, one to five. Pascal, OG, Norm, Serge, and Fred. I'll let you answer this one first. Holy moly. Uh, So ranking them (laughs) in terms of uh, most improved. That is honestly really difficult with a lot of those guys you said. There's so much improvement. Yeah, there is a lot of improvement. Okay, okay. I'm going to put Serge fifth. Um, and, and again, you know, with the caveat that absolutely he has improved. I mean, you know, he was, uh, he was on fire there for a while and that was great to see. He was hitting a lot of shots. Awesome. Uh, but I'll put him low and then I'll put, I'm going to put Freddie fourth too. So I guess low on this list, but only because I think the guys above him have sort of improved more. Ooh, wow. Um, 
loving what we're seeing from OG, of course, lately, but I don't want to get, you know, caught up in the recency bias too, too much. So I'm actually going to put OG at three, believe it or not, and I'll put Norm at two and Pascal at one, because uh, as we talked about in pretty great detail, even I wasn't convinced uh, that Pascal, after the most improved season, could sort of take it to the next next level. Um, even even though I did have a I did have a tweet before the season started, I threw it out there in September, I think it was. You can go check the receipts where I threw out the possibility of a guy like Siakam, and I threw out the numbers that he would sort of have to hit, what he would have to do to do the unbelievable task of trying to go most improved back to back. You know, I threw it out there, threw it out into the universe. And damn, did it look like a great prediction for like six or seven weeks. Um, but that's obviously not happening now. But still, he still blew me away in his improvement to becoming an, an all-star um, starter and, and flirting with an all-NBA nod. So Pascal, Norm, I mean, come on, Norm, crazy, amazing, OG, Van Vliet, Surge. Yeah, I think it's, I'm glad you brought up the the most improved thing. I don't even think it's Pascal's fault. He's improved enough, I think, to warrant a second look at it. It's just other players have taken such a large leap. Yeah. That, like, Brandon Ingram is, that's a big step he took that you really, you couldn't take it away from him at that point. But I have a list of my own, I think, and I would go, obviously, Serge, fifth, I think. He's yeah. he's really picked up. He's much better on the short roll than he has been in the past, and he's also he's his playmaking has stepped up a little bit, maybe because he's more familiar in the system. I go Fred in fourth as well because I okay. I am happy with his steps in the the pick and roll. He's much better dealing with his big men now, less reliant on getting the three point shot open. He's a little bit better at finishing at the rim. Still struggles in that department. Third, I'll go with Norm. Because I don't think he's improved that much. It's just getting more efficient at the things that he's doing now. The three-point okay, shot fair. has been there. It's been there for about two and a half years. He shot it around this level. And as far as him getting all the way downhill to the rim, I went into great de- detail last year on a piece about his footwork and how the reads he's making. I think this was just the collection of all the improvements he's been making. And finally, we're seeing wonderful stuff from Norm. And OG... I know the past few games you talked about maybe not overreacting, but maybe I'm going to overreact a little bit. I've really liked his ability to work on the inside, and he's not as dependent offensively on his three-point shot as he used to be, and I think that he's in the, he can sniff an all-NBA defensive team, I think so. And That's as far true. as Pascal, number one, I think Pascal, as you as you noted, the steps he's taking are crazy, and they're the most difficult steps to take in the NBA. Yeah. That's yeah, I think that's where I sit. So a little bit of a difference. I think we just have OG and Norm switch, but they feel like pretty good lists to me. That's fair. I think uh, you know. I guess I was, you know, with the OG moving him just down to third. I guess I'm probably factoring in just the injury that he had last year and the in and right, out and right. all that, uh, and that and that you always sensed it was there within him, sort of like you said, like an all defensive capability. And then it's been nice over the last little stretch to see. I think uh, I don't know what it is, but it feels like the offense or or he has like just gotten more comfortable. He's more he's just things have slowed down. The game offensively has slowed down for him a little bit over the last little bit. So, um, yeah, but we got pretty similar lists. So I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, definitely. And disagreeing on Norman OG when talking about optimism isn't as far away as uh, as it might sound. But the next right. question and this one is 100 percent from you. It's from the fadeaway at the fadeaway with the A and the E switched in fade. 
says, considering you're rising from your basement in Toronto, where we are now, LOL, to where you are now, what is some advice you can give to an up-and-coming group of guys? And I'll, I'll frame this. This is a podcast. The Fadeaway is a podcast right. out of Toronto. So this one goes straight to you, man. What, what advice do you have? Yeah, um, we obviously you know, tend to get some sort of this question uh, a lot um, because we are sort of, and thankfully, looked at some somewhat of a success in the podcast world, mainly just because we started before everybody even knew what a podcast was. So we were just first to the first to the game. Um, but I talked about before, and I'll say it again, consistency is huge. And just being true to yourself and who you are, be it on camera or on mic, um, is pretty damn important too. Uh, I mean, my point being, don't try and be something you're not. And that's what's the beauty. For the most part, that is the beauty of podcasting. It's a lot easier, I think, for a lot of people out there to be themselves and to talk the way they do in normal day life um, on the podcast, on the mic, than it is when you're put into the to the foreign um, sort of artificial role of like television, when there's cameras, when there's lights, when there's all these people standing around, you don't even know what they do. It is a lot more difficult to be yourself in that. So that's what I love about podcasts. I think that's what a lot of people love about them. It's like, oh yeah, that's that person. That makes sense. That's how they are and that's how they talk and that's how they, you know, discuss things with other friends and stuff like that. So that's, that's an obvious one to be yourself as much as you guys can and lean into that. Um, and like I said, the other part is consistency. If you tell your, you know, hopefully growing fan base, um, even if it's just your friends and your family that you're going to be doing a podcast once a week, or you're going to be doing a daily podcast, or it's going to be twice a week, whatever your schedule is, whatever you have decided on as a group, do your ass, work your ass off to stay as consistent as possible with that, um, because you'd be a, you'd be shocked just by how much you know podcasts are obviously a part of everybody's daily life. And it's like, hey, if I listen to this podcast at lunch, or hey, this drops on the weekend, like you said it would, you know, people are just creatures of habit, and it's a lot easier to get people hooked onto um, you know your actual product that way. So if you say you're going daily, then by God, go daily. If it's weekly, whatever, just be as consistent as you can, as you can with it and really try and try and look at it sort of as like a, you know, a second job, if you will, that you're probably not getting paid for at the beginning. That's my advice, I guess. Yeah. And I'll echo that sentiment just as you being yourself as somebody who I've it's, I wouldn't call it fan mail, but I've received a lot of feedback since I started hosting this podcast. And being that I do the reaction podcast and the weekly podcast, a lot of people are hearing my voice all the time. You guys do so many podcasts as well over at No Dunks. It is an intimate thing to listen to somebody speak for so long. And if you're not yourself, I think that if you're Fugazi, it's going to come off. People will realize that. And the only way if you're going to be doing this kind of stuff where people have to listen to you and have to connect with you is to be very consistent, not only in what you turn out, but in what you're providing as well. And the only way to be truly consistent, I think, is to be yourself as well. Otherwise, I think it's all too hard to keep up a character in long-form conversation. I, I don't know if you agree with that or not. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, but it might surprise you. Lee Ellis has been doing an Australian bit for uh, 10 years now. He's actually, uh, he's actually from Cambridge or something like that. Um, no, but you're 100% uh, correct. You, you would be tiring. No one wants to listen to it anyway. Be yourself. Be as consistent as you can. And, you know, of course, if anything, have fun with it and and make it like you're going to be the only one that's going to listen to it. And there's one more tip I will give. I mean, if possible, especially when you first start podcasting, listen to it. 
I mean, it's not fun sometimes to hear your ums and your ahs and things you screwed up and man, we could have done this a little tighter or better, but the only way you're going to get better is actually listening back to it and uh, trying to, you know, eliminate some of those things that you maybe don't want to hear. And probably if you don't want to hear it, maybe the average, uh, you know, fan doesn't want to hear it as well, or listener doesn't want to hear it as well. So listening back to as much as you can, uh, it really does, it really can help you get better at the craft of podcasting, which is a weird thing to say, I guess. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The uh, when you listen back to it is, I think I've taken the term like out of a lot of how I used to speak. And also, I noticed the affectations of my Canadian accent, because I don't think I have a typical Canadian accent in a lot of the ways I speak. I actually yeah. had somebody ask me if I was from Australia. I don't know why, but I had someone ask. But when I say two and four, I generally say ta and fur. And I think that's one of the biggest affectations of my Canadian accent. And I only noticed that after listening to the podcast back. That's funny. And, and you, I will I like to jump on that as well, too. When I say also listen back, I'm not really like, oh, man, wow, I speak poorly or like Ugh, I could get better. Like, again, that be yourself and that will shine through and people can totally live. I'm living proof. People can totally live with the ums and likes and ahs, but really listen to it in terms of like the flow of the podcast and sort of either whether you're segment based or not, or can you tighten things up or did you go too long on that? Like really just be, you know, and, and again, a podcast, the beauty of it is it can go for three hours and that's cool, but it doesn't need to, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be and nor really should it be. If you need three or four hours to get your point across, um, that's never a good sign because you imagine talking to that person in real life. Ugh. Uh, no, thanks. I got things to do. So like really just like zero in on what can we just get better at? How can we tighten this up? Make it a make it a little more slicker. And maybe that's in terms of production or whatever as well. Um, but listening back, it'll help you. And it's still like I try and do it still as much as I can with our show. And at times I still hate it. Uh, you know, it's it's a weird thing to sometimes like hear your own voice and hear yourself go on about something. And you're like, oh, God, just shut up already. Make your point. Um but it will help you. It'll, it'll help you the next time you're on the mic. And also, one last thing. Uh, make sure that you can edit your audio and do a decent job of it. Because it does open up a lot of avenues to make the podcast more unique is in post-production. Don't, don't overdo it, obviously. It's not like a, a radio show that's doing all the distortions and all that. But I think that's another one, too. But the next tweet is from Don't Tweet Me 420 asks, Who do you think the best Canadian basketball player is currently? and all time and i'll swing this one to you i know you're a big fan of the the national team yeah i am um obviously a big fan of uh canadian nbaers uh love rooting for these guys uh we actually just talked about it on one of the podcasts earlier today um i think it was on our beach stepping podcast that came up greatest canadian of all time is steve nash hands down no questions asked uh love me some nash basically why I fell in love with the game, um, seeing what he could do as a, you know, somewhat of a smaller uh, Canadian out on the West Coast, suddenly shocking people, uh, you know, making the making the league, let alone then becoming a two-time MVP. Um, so that's Nash. That's easy for me. Current player right now, um, wow, it is not easy because there's two that I'm freaking in love. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the Thunder impossible not to root for him right now and uh 
like I'm hoping like the Thunder meet up with the Rockets and seeing what he can do. And he's being at so young and he's just so composed and he's playing all these clutch minutes and alongside Chris Paul. Yeah, I get it. And intruder, but he holds his own man a lot of times with these guys. And every time I look at his box score, it's like a 20 and 10. And it's like a, one of those sort of sneaky, quiet 20 and 10s, which is pretty impressive already being so young. Jamal Murray, though, too, as we just saw, light up the Raptors, um, is right there, neck and neck. I guess I probably lean towards Murray just having some playoff experience and just being around a little bit longer. And he's just a torch, a human torch when he catches fire. He seems to be one of those guys that's unstoppable. Um, so I'll probably go, probably go with Jamal Murray, Kitchener's finest. Shout out to the 519. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool seeing all these Canadian guys in the league right now, like Clark and RJ and on and on. Wiggins, of course. And I can't wait for uh, can't wait for this summer. I hope the boys don't let us down, or I hope they put up a good fight out there, Wes. Yeah, I Clark. I'm really excited for too. I think oh, he's yeah. just he's dynamite. But I agree with you on the all time. I don't know if there's any room for discrepancy there. It's Steve Nash. It'll be Steve Nash for a long time, unless somebody really comes through. Maybe that will be Shea. But as far as the Jamal Murray and Shea Gilgis Alexander, I'm actually team. Shay, so another disagreement okay. between us. And disagreement is so great on podcasts, so I'm glad we found <laughs> a reason to disagree. I mean, it's not a podcast if we're not, uh, you know, arguing about something. I mean, what's the point of it otherwise? Exactly. Um, <laughs> the next question is from Jesse Lawrence, and it's about Taz. So, <clears throat> quote, is Taz really a Raptors fan? You always say you're both Raptors fans, and I know you are a diehard but it seems like his fandom has waned over the years. And perhaps he has recently jumped back on the bandwagon. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. End quote. What is the response there? Is he actually a fan? How dare you? Who'd you say that was? Jesse Lawrence? Was it Joey Lawrence? Jesse Lawrence. J underscore law 86. <laughs> well, yeah. Tass is not here to defend himself, so I will. Look, the, the reason that it feels so different between... Tass's Raptors fandom and my Raptors fandom is because Tass and I couldn't be more different in terms of our personalities, really, I think is what we're getting at here. You know, I am uh, obviously loud and opinionated and don't give a shit. Excuse me for swearing here. I just I should have cleared that with you beforehand. Um, <laughs> where Tess, where Tass would never, never drop a, an S grenade on a podcast. Uh, no, where he's obviously definitely more even keeled um just a little more a lot more chiller than i am you know does not need to be uh the loudest person in the room by any means is gonna pick his spot so i think it's like my, my point is there with like when it comes to the fan i'm like i'm out here the one you know waving the flag going rah 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 and tass is just he is just that's he's not doing that that's just not who tass is as a person now tass and i and, and tass even before i was uh, was a Raptors season ticket holder with a bunch of his buddies when we lived in Toronto and were, you know, freshly out of university and really had no money. Even we're pooling all our money to get tickets and sitting up in the nosebleeds. Uh, shout out to the 300s. Um, he was he was doing that even I think before I was, and then I came on with him and started sharing the tickets. So like, he has been there during the dark dark Raptors days. And then and when we had our season tickets, these were like the worst, the worst Raptors years. I mean, there was a lot of losses for the most part. So he is a longtime Raptors fan. He, he does not need to prove his Raptors fandom to, to Joey Lawrence or Jesse Lawrence. Um, but you know, the only thing that I can have over him is like most people, I'm not sure about you, Sam, but 
he took the Bucks to beat the Raptors in last year's playoff series, as did all the other guys on No Dunks. And I, and I think I was the lone guy to really dig my heels in uh, and to say that the Raps would move on. So I have that going for me, but that's really it. Otherwise, Cass is just as much as a diehard um, as I am. And uh, he just maybe doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't throw it out there for the Twitter world to see as much or the podcast world to see as much. He's just a much more reserved guy than I am, uh, which I think most people enjoy. <laughs> I uh, I do not get to join you in the Raptors over Bucks. I oh! predicted the Bucks. Yeah, I know. It's the worst. Well, well, but well. I... <laughs> How the turntables turn, indeed. <laughs> All right, one more yes, question. I have, that, I have that one feather in my cap. And the other thing with Tass is uh, he, <laughs> um, he, we both were to fly, we were going to fly home for that game six versus the Bucks in the, in the, in the, the conference finals uh, last year. I bought my flight like a normal human. And Tass, Money Mellis, wanted to save a buck, I guess. He's like, I'll go on standby. And he sort of had like a friend of a friend or something that he was going to somehow get him. On I can't really remember the story specifically, but it backfired hardcore on him to the point where he didn't make it home for game six to see the Raptors win that game and go to the championship. So that that was tough. That was a that was a tough uh tough loss there for Tass. Uh maybe and maybe I don't know, learned the learned his lesson or something with, with the uh odd standby thing. Some weird I don't know, some weird thing with the airport happened and he didn't make it home. <laughs> cool story that was a tough look. Fair, i got i mean as you said you can go back and edit things for the podcast you could edit out that very cool story bro i just shared there very poorly my god that was boring <laughs> no no it's all good um the last question though before i let you go get back to your day and it's from daily dribble drive at drive dribble which pending free agent do the raptors have to sign fred ibaka and gasol are all so valuable, but I just can't see all of them staying. Do you have a hierarchy in your head of who's the most important in that group? I'll be honest, uh, I don't. And I saw this tweet. This is one of the one of the tweets I did see when you uh, you know you threw uh, threw the call out there for anything when I was coming on, and I, I did. So I actually was thinking about it in advance before you even asked me here, right here on the spot. Um, and I don't have an answer. I, I, I don't have a hierarchy. I, and I don't even truly know what my answer is. Because um, I guess in a sense, yeah, you're getting at who is the most, I don't know, the most important to the Raptors' both immediate success and sort of future success, right? Is that, I, I guess, if you're having to pick between the three guys. And if that's the case, if you're looking sort of more long-term, you you generally would go Van Vliet just because of his age and where he's at in his career over maybe the old, other two older guys. But then we know how important those guys are um, being the positions they play and, and how you know defensively a guy like Gasol is on uh, some of these matchups. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm interested to hear if you have an answer to that one. Yeah, I think I, I'm of the mind. I'm in the camp that Gasol is more important than Serge. But I also, I've written many things this year and I make sure to give Serge his due on the podcast quite often. Serge has been incredible, but I think that Gasol is closer to a place in his career where maybe a pay cut, if he really likes the Raptors, the way things are going, and he just got, I think, $26 million this year, maybe he's in the pay cut area of his career. 
And I mm-hmm. think that's more likely than Surge taking a pay cut. Because I think Surge can go out and get probably $20 million for two or three years again. I really think that might be on the table for him. He's been sublime. I don't think, like the Raptors can obviously go use the bird and go way over and pay yeah. through the nose. We'll see. But I think that it's more likely that if they're trying to keep their eyes on, everybody knows who the big free agent is and has ties to Masai Ujiri through certain means. Obviously, that's a thing coming up as well. But I think Gasol's maybe more likely, and he fits with the projected team a little bit better. I really like the Siakam-Gasol two-man game. Gasol is still a blindingly brilliant defender. He opens up a ton of split action on the offensive end. And so I think I'd put him number two. Number one, obviously, I think Fred, because of age and trying his best to be the Lowry heir apparent, I think is important as well. And Serge... Although I love him and he's fantastic and so earnest and wonderful to cheer for, I think he goes third. But that's that's my ranking, I think. Yeah, it is tough to try and imagine this Raptors team without a guy like Serge around. I don't know what it is now. He's just, yeah, he's become such a, obviously a fan favorite with all of the unbelievable quotes and the scarves and all the funny content and like the YouTube videos and all that. Um, that it's just weird, even though it's very realistic, because I agree with you that Serge Ibaka would not be on like this iteration of the raps. It would uh, be a sad day uh, if he, if he does move on and maybe not. Yeah. Maybe there's an agreement to be made uh, with all these guys, but okay. So we're basically, it is sort of a, a Van Vliet above the other two bigs and then Gasol, just above Ibaka. I, I, I agree with that. Okay. Well, I feel like that's a great place to end it. I'll, I'll swing it to you, and you can plug whatever you like, tell the people what they should be reading or listening to, and we'll, we'll get out of here, man. Yeah, it's pretty simple. You can follow me, guys, uh, at J.E. Skeets on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, make sure you follow and subscribe and listen to the No Dunks podcast, uh, part of the Athletic Network. Uh, it's at No Dunks, Inc., I-N-C., across all social media platforms over the last week too. I know some people uh, are really into this. We've started to get back to putting up a YouTube version of the podcast. Um, so we're recording it now. JD has been a wizard with all this stuff. He's actually editing the podcast video portion on the fly, which is, I think pretty badass. Um, so we try and get that up as well. A little bit later in the day, just search for no dunks Inc on YouTube if you could subscribe and like and comment and share it, I mean, that's great. If not, no worries. Um, but yeah, otherwise the podcast is available, you know, across wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple and Spotify. And again, it's on the athletic network and, uh, yeah, we got a whole lot of no dunks content. We're usually up to about six or seven podcasts a week. They're generally like 45 minutes to an hour long. So we talk all NBA. I try and sprinkle in as much uh, Raptors talk as we can. Everybody else gets angry at me. Not the guys on the show, but fans listening. Can you stop talking about the Raptors, do Homer? And uh, the answer is no, I can't. So suck it. Um, But yeah, (laughs) let's end on that note. Suck it like DX style. I'm chopping it up big time. (laughs) Well, man, thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot, Sam. Really appreciate it. And to the listener, thank you very much for listening. If you're looking to support me, you're already doing so by listening to the podcast an hour into it. So thank you for sticking through to the full thing. I hope you enjoyed JE as a guest. For me, that's it. We're out of here. If you're listening to in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely. Nothing.
Just in time for the holidays, fill your home and your season for less at homedepot.com. With up to 40% off a wide assortment of select bedding and bath linens. Update your bed or bath online, right from the comfort of your own cozy couch. Even get free delivery and flexible returns. How's that for holiday cheer? Up to 40% off holiday home decor improved from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Online only. Free delivery on select items $45 or more. Visit homedepot.com for more information. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.